I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my Big Bag of Onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts and parts unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio Had a soul made me so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone The young stars Where do new words come from? Few are purely invented in the sense of being coined from a string of sounds chosen more or less at random. Most tend to be existing words given new meaning, to tweet. In other cases, a word changes its parts of speech, to Photoshop, to Facebook. And in some of the most creative instances, people chop words and recombine them to make new ones, as in sexting. New words mostly become embedded through use. A few countries have official academies that declare when a word has been accepted, but they have little actual influence over how people speak. Which words make their way into a language says a lot about where phrasing comes from today. One such official regulator is the Danske Spronan, which has the humble task of determining official spelling in Danish. Many Danes take the body's decision to include this or that word in its spelling dictionaries as a sign that it is a real word. New Danish Words with Origin, a book by Jürgen Norby Jensen, shows how rarely new Danish forms are created by Danes from Danish roots for specifically Danish circumstances. Instead, the great majority come, one way or another, from English. The obvious examples are those that are borrowed wholesale. Mr Jensen offers foodie, selfie, clickbait, blog, Brexit and twerking a kind of bottom-waggling dance.
Scalia was an originalist, i.e., he believed the Constitution must be interpreted in the light of the meaning of its constituent words in the late 18th century. He bolstered his argument by citing an edition of Samuel Johnson's Dictionary from 1773, plus selected prose from the period in which the Constitution was written. He was mistaken. Selective quotations can prove anything if you have clever researchers looking for them. But there is a far more robust way to find out what people meant by this or that word in the 18th century. That is to gather a large number of texts into a corpus, a searchable body of material, and then look for patterns in thousands of uses of a word or phrase. A corpus can be general, like Google Books, which has around 500 billion words of English text. But it can also be specialized. Two newcomers are the corpus of founding-era American English, with 139 million words across 95,000 documents from 1760 to 1799, and the corpus of early modern English, with 1.3 billion words from 1475 to 1800. Things you don't see never happen 
used for subjects, whom for objects, including direct objects, such as that of the verb to fire. He fires him, not he fires he. Thus, he fires whom. The issue is not as simple as that. Whom is one of the few remaining vestiges of case in English. At the time of Beowulf, the great monster-slaying Anglo-Saxon epic, English nouns, pronouns and adjectives plus words like the, all had an ending-showing case. Four different cases in Old English tell you whether a word is a subject, direct object, indirect object, or possessor. Other languages, from Ancient Greek to Russian to Estonian, have far richer case systems still. More than 1,000 years later, that system has vanished almost entirely, probably fatally weakened by foreign invaders. When foreign speakers learn a second language, as the Vikings and then the Normans did when they conquered England, cases are tricky to pick up, as any student of Russian knows. If they can be dispensed with, they often will be. Those Vikings and Normans feebly learning Old English helped turn it into Middle English, in which case was far less often visible. I'm not here I'm not here 
been a little while I'll be gone The moment's already passed Yeah, it's gone And I'm not here This isn't happening I'm not here I'm not here Strobe lights and blown speakers Fireworks and hurricanes I'm not here This isn't happening I'm not here I'm not here Yugoslavia was cobbled together from territories mostly populated with speakers of southern Slavic tongues. It was dominated by a language called, at the time, Serbo-Croatian. Serbians wrote it with the Cyrillic alphabet, and Croats, Muslims, and Montenegrins preferred the Latin one. But a few minor dialectal differences aside, they all clearly spoke the same language, its varieties closer even than Slovenian and Croatian are. Macedonians spoke another closely related language. A minority also spoke Albanian, a non-Slavic language. But when Yugoslavia broke up and the republics went to war, not only the state but the language of Serbo-Croatian was dismantled. Nationalists in the successor republics insist today that they speak Croatian, Serbian, Bosnian and Montenegrin. Croats in particular started trying to purify their version of foreign borrowings, coining new words to replace them. Last year, liberal intellectuals gathered in Sarajevo to affirm that Serbs, Croats, Montenegrins and Bosniaks speak a single polycentric language like English with its standard British, American and other varieties. Nationalists howled. There is 
the bench on the ground Those are the beds and the rooms that we slept in Those are the songs we found Find me in the streets searching for something Something somehow that I lost Find me in life aching for someone Someone as good Look for me like you did On the days I ran in here Bring your old gifts and find me There is a world big as a mountain There's a world to be shared Still there is love tall as a mountain Still there is are the golden onions. From one onion to another. Just like that, here's more onions. It's all about the onions, you know. It's just onion after onion. I've got some lovely onions here. Onion is as onion does. Onions. Sweet onions. Smell my onions. English speakers are sure their language is especially perplexing. But while it has its quirks, so does every other language, aside from planned ones like Esperanto. In one way, though, English really is confusing. A small new book helps readers distinguish many words that are confusingly similar. Some are nearly homophones with different spellings and completely different meanings, like illicit and illicit. Some are near homophones with distinct but related meanings, like emigrate and immigrate. And some are similar-looking words with opposite meanings, like adjure and abjure. What kind of language is this? It is not the English kind so much as the Latin kind. About 28% of the words in the shorter Oxford Dictionary come from that language. This huge layer of vocabulary was either borrowed directly, borrowed from Latin via French, or coined in English from Latin roots. Educated people are expected to know these words, which means a lifetime of trying to keep things like ingenious and ingenuous distinct. What sort of person would coin antonym pairs like adjure and abjure, the former meaning to vigorously encourage someone to do something, the latter meaning to renounce. Anda sedang mendengarkan sebuah tas besar penuh dengan onions yang punya bill. Yes, I believe that there's a point to what we. 
Max Weinrich, a linguist, made famous the wry remark that a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. The usual criterion for what is a separate language and not a mere dialect is that speakers of two languages should find it difficult or impossible to understand each other. But factors that have nothing to do with language often supersede the linguistic ones. Those who try to tally up the world's languages are either lumpers who would treat mutually comprehensible tongues as single languages, and splitters who focus on the differences. A lumper would say that Macedonian is really Bulgarian. Many such lumpers can be found in Bulgaria. Macedonian splitters angrily retort that this is an attempt to obliterate their identity. In other words, the messy facts of the real world complicate the simple narratives some see as necessary for community building. Nationalists don't like to talk about the awful things their forebears did. They tend to assume that their country's most expansive borders are the natural ones, though these inevitably overlap with their neighbors' border claims. Languages are no different. A phrase beloved of some journalists is even truer of nationalists. Never let the facts get in the way of a good story.
You're listening to Build Big Bag of Onions. Remarkably, a French president had never addressed the Académie Française before. The French have a soft spot for authority, and the mighty presidency, atypical for Europe, and the Academy, founded to guarantee the purity of the French language, are both symbols of that. So when Emmanuel Macron told the academicians, modestly known as les immortels, of his ambitions to revitalize French around the world, it was a very French affair indeed. In some ways, Mr. Macron constitutes a break with Gallic tradition. He speaks English not only well but gladly, in contrast to his predecessors, François Hollande, whose ropey English was the butt of jokes, and Jacques Chirac, who often pointedly refused to talk in English, though he could. But in the best French tradition, Mr. Macron spoke with passion about French and confidence in its future. He announced more money for the Alliance Française, for example, to teach the language, and more support for teaching French to refugees who have arrived in France. His aim is to see French go from being the world's fifth most spoken language to its third. It is very French to think that this can be accomplished by determined state action. Yet people don't learn a language because somebody has built a fancy new school nearby. These days, there are plenty of language learning options, especially online. The cost of learning a language is mainly measured not in money but in time.
lumper-splitter controversies can be found around the world. Swedes, Danes and Norwegians can understand each other pretty well too, but few say that they simply speak Scandinavian. Meanwhile, Swiss-German dialects, and even many dialects within Germany, are more different from High German than Slovenian is from Croatian. The same could be said of Italian's many local varieties. But most of these lack any official status. While lines on the map are influential, other loyalties play a role too. Lumpers once recognized a language called Hindustani. Its disparate speakers have no trouble conversing, but a splitter would point to the two different writing systems of Hindi and Urdu, as well as communal preferences. Muslims speak Urdu, Hindus Hindi, and say they are two languages. Urdu is a language of India as well as Pakistan. The boundary is less territorial than religious, with the writing system a visible marker. Urdu's Arabic script connects it to Islam, Hindi's Devanagari links to Sanskrit and Hinduism. My grandfather went down with the Montevideo Rising sun sent him floating to his rest And his wife fled south to Sydney seeking our safe harbor A Nashaw matron she became with some paying guests Oh, my father went down With the curse of big cities Traffic tiles and deadlines Took him to his peace Now Bob Dyer glued us to our seats And lawns were always Victor neat Whilst men's fond at royal feet I'm sure you remember Yeah. 
In English today, just six words still show a distinction between subject and object. I, he, she, we, they, and who. For the first five, making the case distinction is mandatory nearly all of the time. You cannot say, I love she and she loves I. Admittedly, some people say, between you and I. It should be between you and me, because both you and me are objects of the preposition. But this is a marginal mistake, made mostly by educated people taking to excess the childhood lesson not to say you and me in sentences such as you and me are going to be friends. Regardless, that children say you and me are going and grown-ups say between you and I and both are perfectly understood illustrates the point. Case just isn't important to meaning in English. Whom is special. It is used in questions and relative clauses, which are rarer and more complex than he saw him type sentences. It is not always obvious whether the relevant word is a subject or an object, as in sentences such as he's the candidate who we think will win, or he's the candidate whom we think will win. It should be who.
You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. You see, what this is, this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions with a special broadcast featuring... Cross the boundaries of the former Yugoslavia and you face a few hassles. Heading from the mountains of Slovenia to the beaches of Croatia, you encounter the Schengen border, which separates the European Union's passport-free area from those EU countries which are not members of it. In holiday season, this can mean an hour-long queue on the motorway. Cross from Croatia into Serbia or Bosnia-Herzegovina and you leave the EU entirely. Here you find customs checks as well as passport controls. In each new country, you have to change your money. The one thing you might not even notice is a difference in language. In Slovenia, the tourist might pick up Dobrodošli, Dobardan and Hvala, welcome, hello and thank you. In Croatia, these are Dobrodošli, Dobardan and Hvala. Not everything is the same by any means. Prosim for please becomes molim. But Croatians and Slovenes can largely understand each other's languages. This being the case, why are they considered two distinct languages at all? Stream. 
What does it mean to bear arms? The Second Amendment to America's Constitution reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Concerned by the number of firearms in America and the epidemic of gun violence they cause, many commentators, including Johnson, have in the past examined the first half of the amendment. It seems obvious to some that the first clause qualifies the second. The right to bear arms is tied to militia service. But gun rights advocates think the second clause stands alone. Among them was the late Antonin Scalia, who in 2008 wrote a Supreme Court opinion, D.C. versus Heller, holding that the amendment guarantees an individual right to guns, no militia service required. He went on to explain, bear arms. For him, to bear was simple enough, meaning to carry, and arms were just weapons. He conceded that there was an idiom, to bear arms, which meant to belong to an organized military force, but this was only a possible import of the phrase, not its core meaning. I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music, words, and sound. Be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a guppy production for Colm Radio.